Welcome to Well and Back, the podcast hosted by three passionate osteopaths and wellness entrepreneurs, Justine Treadwell, Chloe Lawton, and Lauren Mallott. We're opening up our inner circle of holistic health practitioners we think everyone should have access to. Listen in as we share our personal and professional perspectives on how our bodies respond to our everyday choices, as well as our favorite health tips and tools to help us feel good and move well. So overall, I'm sure it's different for everybody as it is with osteopathy, but how long do you work with people typically? And are they leaving the first session with uh, some action steps already? So generally there there's the first visit, which is one hour long. And it is, like I said, action packed. Um, from that point, people either, and again, you guys look at it the same way, have strong constitutions or weak constitutions. You're going to do adjustments on people. And then that night they're in so much pain. They're a weaker constitution. And, you know, it just, it is constitutions are just different. So when I'm looking at the blood, I'm also accessing that, that constitution that they have. What am I going to do? Am I doing homeopathics? Am I doing herbals? What medication are they on? What pathogen do I go after first? What do I support? How do I support it? You know, there's a whole bunch of things. Once that decision's made, I put together a protocol. Now, in my world, my job isn't to keep my clients or our clients on protocols forever. I don't want that. I want to help people, fix people, have them run a protocol, and then have the most minimal things to support their body. So when they come to see me, it's important they understand that this is protocols. This is not lifetime type of thing. So what I'll do is I'll run usually a simple protocol um, and it isn't overly costly. I usually keep it within three bottles. Sometimes I have to do four and usually it can range from two appointments to a year if it's something as tricky as Lyme. I have been blessed being able to put Lyme disease into remission. Um, urinary tract infections is another thing. You know, you don't have to be sick to see me. It's prevention. And thing is, people just want to make sure their microbiome is clean. And once they see me, once they get it, I give them a game plan. Let's say someone comes in for weight loss. Sometimes there's yeast in play here. I got to get the organs ready for us to start dumping weight. So that may be a longer journey for the individual. If there's cancer at play, I give them a protocol of saying, we may need to do IVs. And I have numerous of the locations that my techs work at have IVs. Um, and what that means is they do intravenous injections of high doses of vitamin C or Myers cocktails, and that can implode pathogens and cancer. And the answer is people don't check out. They keep coming back and seeing me time after time after time, don't they, Lauren? Well, yeah, and I was just gonna say, it's more the one uh, initial symptom that they're after might take you know, a couple treatments to up to a year. Sure, as you start to unpack it or you start to figure out what that root cause is, but we're interacting with environmental exposures every single day. So it's more that you might not need it all the time, but it's the reassurance of having that resource. Like when I had a tick bite, I texted you right away and was like, I found a tick on me. 
what do I do? And I remember I went to the the doctor there, the walking clinic, and they didn't want to give, um, they're like, that's, that's a bit much. Like if you don't have a bull ring, then, uh, if you don't have the symptom and it's like, if you have that symptom, you already have expression of Lyme, right? Yeah. You need antibiotics if you have a tick bite and that's mm-hmm. what they have to really start learning. And it's interesting because sometimes they can be so like in this example, we're speaking on a frustration of not acting fast enough. And then sometimes you hear how fast they act and you're like, this was not necessary. So I feel like there's just a happy medium that hopefully we can all reach, but it's a great example that Lauren brought up a a specific thing and how you mentioned even like a walk-in clinic that you've built in an acute scenario or in a certain scenario they can book an appointment with you or send their sample in within Canada and have that process started immediately. But if you've worked with someone in the past, maybe have cleared their, or you have cleared their symptoms that they initially came in with and any underlying things they didn't even know they had. And now they're good. But like Lauren mentioned, or we've spoken before earlier in this podcast, there are so many external and environmental um changes right now or just things with travel and all all kinds of exposures how often would you recommend a sort of maintenance protocol for someone Mm -hmm. to do after they've had that initial basis cleared because we work kind of similarly where somebody can walk into our office we're wanting to clear either years of um, asymmetries and compensation patterns and that can take a certain amount of frequent treatments But once those are cleared, maybe we see somebody every three months, every six months, once a year, all preventative or just when they've kind of overdone something. I find every eight months is a good baseline. I often will tell people, you know, let's see you in eight months, but if any symptoms pop up, email me and I'm going to get you back on the protocol right away because there's the time is a factor here. It really, really is. I got to get my hands on that bacteria quickly if symptoms are starting to progress but they do i could clear the symptoms but they're a teacher so they're being exposed to parasites and bacteria over and over and over again so they can't get away from it or they work in a portal they're exposed to mold over and over and over again so it can be a cycle and i need to keep the cycle at a lower level um, as possible Yes. And what's empowering about that too, I keep drawing on similarities in our practice as well, but you mentioned self-healing or self-regulating and just that we are overloaded. Our systems cannot handle all that we are exposed to right now. So we work in a similar way of thinking that although the initial belief behind osteopathy is that our body is self-healing, self-regulating, we don't need external Uh, vitamins or uh, pharmaceuticals or it just seems like it's one extreme or another and we really are trying to create a space here where we can apply the osteopathic perspective to modern day science and findings but it's great to hear that if you are clearing up major things it's okay to allow our bodies to maybe handle certain things on our own and not get too obsessed with eliminating everything. And then you can act into a maintenance protocol to just keep that baseline at a certain level. It's true. We can kind of fluctuate within that without being too over. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Another thing I do to kind of get a good baseline when we're wrapping up, a lot of my clients will run hair tests. And it's fascinating because it'll give me the whole periodic table of elements, as well as the whole nutritional standpoint. And that's kind of like the last fine tuning, you know, oh, you need a bit of selenium, you need a bit of this, you need it. It's a nice fine tune. And then I'm like, hey, see you in a year. We talked about environmental exposures. What would you say are the main um, environmental exposures for microplastics or for mold or for um, some of the markers that you see in blood being uh, an issue for patients today? So yes, I see both of these. They're very prevalent in live blood. It's actually interesting because this particular summer, my technicians and I have seen an influx of mold on quite a high amount. The crazy thing about molds is, is in live blood cell, we can't determine until we've seen somebody a few times, whether it's a current mold exposure or it's an old mold exposure. Because what can happen is mold can live in your body and turn into mycotoxins. Uh, and then it creates a lot of symptoms. Mold will often colonize in the sinus area. So a lot of the time when people come in with, you know, extreme sinus infections, one of the things that are crossing my mind is their mold. And, you know, we have a lot of us in Ontario have cottages and things like that. So we really have to be hypersensitive to mold. Shipping in a sample to us is a, a great way for us to see because as the sample sits, mold will get more predominant on this slide. So it's a really cool way to see the mold. We are, or I am, getting to a point where I'm doing the pathology of the types of molds because I've upgraded all my systems. I'm able to see different kinds of molds. Um, outside of the clinic, I work as a skating consultant. Okay. And I've seen um, a few of the higher level players that I work with come into the clinic, unrelated, but to come to see you. And in arenas, there's a ton of mold and a ton of um, environmental exposures and, and pollution and the amount of traveling that's um, sometimes throughout a course of a season and the effect on, on blood. And you don't usually think that way, but yep. that's something that I've had guys bring up is the amount of is is just the air quality in something like an arena when you're spending so much time there um yeah so that was pretty cool to just see that full story. that is cool and have patients that wouldn't typically seem like the first person to come through your door as something that seems a little bit more alternative but it really just points to how important and more receptive people are to this holistic approach. Yes. Great. Is there anything that you notice, um, any trends that you notice in athletes um, more than kind of the general population in terms of blood quality? For athletes, they need to make sure that liver is working great because the liver is workhorse of the body. 
And so diet is a huge component. Um, and I'd always be incorporating a bit of asparagus, a bit of beet, lemon and water, and having selenium in the body where it, they detox more. So athletes need to detox a little bit more because they're sweating and exuding the body a little bit more. And a great way nutritionally to get selenium in the body is by eating two Brazil nuts a day. That's what we need for a good nutritional standpoint of helping us detox. And I recommend this to a lot of my clients as easy things, because what I recommend not as always protocols, it's not always herbs, it can be foods. And a lot of my staff are nutritionists as well. Um, and they, they kind of build whole protocols from people. So we do a lot of foods as well. That's great. When I know that we've really spoken about the molds and the parasites and different bacterias that are seen in the samples. And I know you can't describe exactly what you're seeing, but when you speak about vitamin or mineral deficiencies and are suggesting uh, diet changes, like you just mentioned, um, what is that testing like? Is that still on the live blood sam sample or is that? Yes, it is. <clears throat> So we can see how people are absorbing, how the cell membranes are. Then we often will do a urine test, which give us another snapshot, insulin levels, bilirubin, how well they're absorbing, blood in the urinary tract, kidney function. Then we can do adrenal testing through urine, but we're also seeing adrenals in the blood. We have people that come in that are alkaline and eating a diet of incredible fruits and vegetables that their blood is mind boggling to see. And it looks incredible. And those people sometimes tear up in the visit because they have put so much effort into juicing and alkalinity and using a Berkey and all these things to see it and hear me say it is more rewarding when they've had their father or mother pass away from cancer and they're doing these things to be proactive. And it's just fascinating what we see. Now, the hair test that I mentioned gives us more detail. So it'll say exactly, here's where we sit on a level, on a bar, okay, of iron, of mag magnanese, of nickel, of chromium. It gets much more detailed. So if we need more detailed reports, I have the option to do so. I have a lot of additional testing because it doesn't all come down to live blood cell. I need more data. And that's why we're very, very scientific. Right. So leading into further testing there, you mentioned cell membrane quality. Yep. See how that is visually in the blood, but also how, uh, like, is plasma affected, like, between the cells? Are you Absolutely. seeing the murkiness based on congestion of the blood or that? Exactly. Color? By how many platelets you're seeing. Sometimes we'll see fungal forms. That's where molds and worms from parasites and things like that will be present. It'll be moving through the river of the plasma. Wow. So interesting. And you bringing up diet is also something that can be confusing right now. Everybody trying to make the right health decisions for themselves. There's a lot of information out there based on uh, an alkaline diet, an animal-based diet, a uh, plant-based diet. Um, do you just have a thought on that? Just your own opinion based on what you've seen if people describe their diets and then you've observed their blood samples? Yes. Any 
So the thought on that is because I do blood, I follow what is best for people's blood type. So there's four different blood types. There's O, A, B, and AB. Okay. Each blood type digests different foods differently. So if you're more of an O blood type, you don't break down dairy and wheat as well as somebody who's a B blood type. And that's because O blood type is the oldest of blood type. They are what cavemen were. They weren't eating wheat and dairy as cavemen. They were eating meat. And as an O blood type, you need a higher amount of protein to burn fat. So these are part of the things we're discussing in each visit as say a B blood type that was created in more India. Okay, they can accommodate wheat and dairy better than any of the other blood types. And then with water consumption and uh, different types of filtration systems and tap water, yeah. so, since our blood is made up so much of water and our bodies in general, any recommendation in that regard? Absolutely. Overall, we can see if people are hydrated or not hydrated in the live blood cell sample. And then we back that up by also doing the urine sample. We do urine samples also at our follow-up visits because I need to make sure that I'm not seeing kidney indications or blood at those follow-up visits and things like that. And do you have any thoughts on the quality of water that they're consuming, whether it's, yeah, taps? Or can I add to um, bottled water, plastic water bottles? Okay. Uh, cartons now all that stuff absolutely yeah that's that's a huge huge again a whole nother podcast for us ultimately yeah. because we know microplastics exist okay um this is definitely something that we are starting to see in the live blood cell sample because of the tech tech we have we can see um microplastics um, so bottled water, yes, is, uh, we always have to take into consideration that it's in a plastic bottle. Um, I strongly recommend going with more glass bottles or metal bottles than anything. Um, because as plastic heats, you know, there's, it's interesting that what can come out from that plastic. We're also seeing clothes now made out of plastic. Yeah. You know, you got H&M that is like recycled clothes. And I mean, this is a good, bad thing, right? Because it's good that they're recycling and putting it into clothes. And that's awesome. They figured out how to do that. But guys, what happens when we wash it? What happens to the small fibers as they're breaking down? They're going into our water sources. And is our water sources able to filter this out? I don't even know if they're able. And I don't have the data behind that. But is chlorine killing microplastics? No, you know, there has to be some serious filtration here to be able to pick up on these minute nanoparticles that can need to be seen by electron microscopes. Like it's tiny. So that is perhaps a new epidemic that's coming down the pipe. Yeah. The more we're washing clothes, the more we're doing all of this stuff, utilizing these recycled plastics, it's, it's a bit terrifying. The other thing we're seeing a lot of is number three plastics, which is uh, a lot of, you know, there's these lasagna containers. You have that very, very thin plastic. You pull the plastic to open up your food and you have little tiny microplastics falling on there. These are all components. So I can't tell in the blood where people are getting this stuff from. 
Lake Ontario is absolutely gross. We see huge, <laughs> see huge shut down all over the place. We are drinking Lake Ontario water, even though it's filtered, it's gross. Okay. We, us, who's doing the podcast, we could have people listening here from Calgary, you know, all over, but us here in Ontario, our water is disgusting. We also <laughs> live near Stalco Steel. Yeah. Okay. We have metals going into the water. We have all sorts. And I don't care what people say. Oh, they test the water around Stalco. Nope, it's leaching. Like, come on, it's it's leaching. So when I do hair tests, when I look at people's live cell, I see metals. And it's interesting if people live near Stalco Steel, they do show more metals in their blood. So, you know, water's a problem. It definitely is a problem. What is the right water to be drinking? Kangen water, amazing alkaline water and it cleans parasites bacteria things like that a lot of people will say oh well I use a Brita Brita's aren't the most amazing but if you're going to filter something and you need a cheap filter that's better than nothing Santivia yeah another one that's very very much like a Brita but it filters way more material, way more things. People talk so much about hydration and think water, but yep. it's also what's in your water, right? And it's also mineral balance and electrolyte balance. And yep. if you are drinking demineralized water that's been stripped of, um, of, of the minerals to sanitize it, then yep. that water binds to minerals within your body and leaves you depleted. And that's where the Santivia is awesome because yeah. it puts minerals into the water that's stripped. So is this it's something, really cool and affordable? Mm-hmm. So this is something you actually put in to no. The so it looks filters? like a Brita. Okay. Oh, okay. And you put the water in. So it works exactly like a Brita. I strongly recommend these water filter systems. I see great improvements at preventing parasites in people that even live on well water. Wow. And what about reverse osmosis water? Yeah, I do find, again, it matters on the person's constitution, how they're absorbing it. Um, We want to see kind of how they're absorbing the the reverse. But overall, it's again, it's better than drinking tap water. And, And we have to keep in mind too, what type of homes do we live in when we're drinking tap water? If we're living in downtown Toronto, in a hundred year old building or a hundred year old house, you're drinking lead. There is lead in that water. It, Toronto, they're just starting to replace all the piping. We're seeing it ripped up everywhere there. So, you know, here in Burlington, they did it about four years ago. They ripped up all the lead pipes and added all new pipes here. Pipes matter, but we have a lot of old places that are still on well water, still on lead pipes that we're seeing lead come up on the periodic table of elements in the hair tests. Right. Yeah. Something to think about as like a daily, obviously, requirement and daily exposure. What can we do uh, on just, yeah, a daily level to help ourselves or just not make things worse. Um, I wanted to go back quickly with microplastics. When there are microplastics that you are identifying in the blood, are you seeing specific like damages to certain parts of uh, certain cells in the blood or just their presence and it's inflammatory or what are you seeing as a result of microplastics? So what you see is the physical piece of plastic in the blood. Wow. Um, so in that case, 
drainage is really, really important. But honestly, I'm still researching this. Yeah, this new. We new thought well, it, it's too new. It really is too new. Um, and imagine I'm seeing it in about 3% of people. It's in people's microbiomes now. And like it's, it's foreign there. substance that shouldn't be there. Yeah. So I guess that's all there really is to know about it at this time. It's interesting. You're not going to break it down in the body. Do you find a binding agent? How do you, how do you detox? How do you remove that? But yeah, that's, it's it, pretty crazy. Yeah. For now, we'll try I, to as much exposure, I guess, as part of the preventative solution to it. it. Exactly. Exactly. And I work with a biologist in UK. Um, and he actually told me three years ago, he started opening autopsies and he told me microplastics are coming. And I'm like, come on. He was like, oh no, they're coming. And then when we started seeing them, we were like, so he actually has his tech open up and he had two autopsies three years ago that they found microplastics in the aorta of the heart. You know, it took me a while to know what Lyme disease and like what that looked like in people and how the environment's changing. So this is just one of those things. I'm not there yet. I'm just not there yet. Yeah, that's, that's so true. But I think a great takeaway from anyone listening is, um, is the exposure with clothing and specifically, okay, something that you can modify and change because we often think of it where it's branded as a positive to be buying recycled clothing because you're thinking that you're doing something good for the environment and not creating more waste. You're utilizing what was waste and repurposing, but the concern there is plastic exposure and thinking about a modifiable change or, you know, when to make those adjustments in your active wear. Like if yeah. you're sweating, if you're working out, if you're going in a so true and you're in, you're in clothing that has plastics and chemicals and dyes in it, you're making a healthy decision, but you're also exposing yourself at the same time. So it's kind of maybe if it feels overwhelming and daunting, that would be a good intervention point where you can make the decision to, um, you know, modify the clothing you're wearing at that time. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And if you have some mismatched Tupperware in your cupboard, just start <laughs> replacing them with glass. Because yeah. I feel like my pile of like mismatched lids and random containers, I'll just start kind of part of my kitchen cleanse. You so just, you have to, right? Like it, things have changed. Yeah. But I mean, that's just another layer of environmentally the things we talk about. And Chantal will attest to this. Do not reheat your Starbucks cups to go cups. I know. She's like the police of that at the clinic. And we, yeah, yeah. No, and it's it's so good. You need people um to kind of hold you accountable or to point it out if you if you didn't know before, right? Because that's just plastic right into your, your drink. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this yeah. was great. So where are all of your clinics? Where can people actually physically go and find you? Okay. So head office is in Oakville. Um, and I work at Still Dynamics, which is an osteopath wellness clinic. Um, I have kind of one side of the clinic and osteopaths on the other side of the clinic. So not only that, I also have two naturopathic doctors that I've worked with for the last 12 years. One of them is a specific, she has um, a backing in microbiology. So she runs a chronic care clinic with myself. So that's at the Oakville Clinic. 
And then anybody across Canada can ship us a sample. Amazing. It's making me want to do this like tomorrow. Anybody can email me with any questions that listen to the podcast because I want people to make sure that they're getting the right things. This conversation, it's been great because I feel like as much as there's so much information in it, there was a sense of empowerment in all of it. And that's what we're really trying to create with our podcasts and everybody that we're bringing on and the conversations that we're having just with each other as well. Because I think what the take-home message is, if you are suffering with symptoms that just have not been adding up, if you have had chronic issues that you feel you know what's wrong, but different solutions are not working for you, or if you are just an everyday person who may not be struggling with something, there could be um, quieter things going on internally that you want to act on before they become uh, an issue that you will have to deal with. So I think this is a really accessible way of getting to know your body on a crazy level, which is, it's, I imagine how cool that is to walk in and see your blood sample on a screen and being talked through uh, what is going on and just take control over small changes that you've suggested today or that you would suggest in person with an actual appointment. Exactly. Thanks for tuning in to Well and Back. We hope you enjoyed this episode and gained some valuable insights into living your best life. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown on today's episode. We are truly passionate about providing you with the best information and resources to help you on your wellness journey. For even more content, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Well and Back. Please consider taking a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. By letting us know how this episode resonated with you or what you'd like to hear more of, it helps us to continuously improve. Until you're back, we wish you well.